Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode 79. Well, if you are like me, you are crashing after the high of the U.S. Open this past week at Pebble Beach. Man, like I said last week, primetime golf here on the East Coast. You get to play all day and then watch golf all night until 10 o'clock or so. It just doesn't get any better than that. Loved the tournament. Loved to see that Gary Woodland captured his first major championship. You know, one of the things that we haven't done with the podcast is give commentary from an editorial standpoint on the tournaments or the players on the PGA Tour or the LPGA Tour. You know, I think that there's plenty of that going around. You know, some people maybe thought that Pebble Beach played a little bit too easy this year. Everyone has a point of view on Tiger and Phil and Ricky and Rory. So I really don't want to go into that. But with Gary Woodland winning the U.S. Open and the fact that we have kind of a mutual connection with the University of Kansas, I wanted to share a fun personal story. But before I get to that, let's get the podcast housekeeping stuff out of the way first. Keep following us on social media. We had a great U.S. Open giveaway contest. The winner's already been announced on Instagram. They got a hat. They're getting tees. They're getting a U.S. Open bag tag. Uh, they're getting a new towel. They're getting lots of stuff. So make sure you enter that. We're probably going to do another one for the Open Championship as well. So make sure you keep an eye on that. We're on Facebook and Twitter. The Instagram handle is the Back of the Range Podcast. All of that stuff can be found at thebackoftherange.com. Keep the reviews coming in on Apple Podcast. In all seriousness, it is really humbling to see some of your reviews, how much you're enjoying this podcast, how much it's maybe helping your game, or just the entertainment value of enjoying the great stories that are being shared by our fantastic guests. So please keep that coming and post that review up there, and you know I'll always send you something for free. Just my way of saying thanks for listening to The Back of the Range. Okay, so personal story from me, your host. So if you've been listening to the podcast for quite a long time, there is an intro episode. You can pull it up in Apple Podcasts that kind of gives you a little bit of background on myself and how this whole thing started. I played a little bit of college golf at a very small school in Miami, Florida called St. Thomas University. But before I did that, I went to KU. I have family and friends out in Lawrence, Kansas. I've been there multiple times for just about as long as I can remember. So when I left Florida to go to KU, I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if I could maybe walk on to the Kansas golf team? Yeah. And again, I didn't do anything in high school. I played one year of high school golf. But hey, when you're 18, you're not real bright. And you think, sure, you could possibly walk onto a Division I college program. So I find out who the golf coach is. And the golf coach is Ross Randall. Ross Randall was a legendary player in the PGA Tour and was a phenomenal coach at Kansas. Guess who he coached? Gary Woodland. So I go to the so I find out that Ross Randall is the coach. I go to the home course, Alvinmar Golf Club, and I say, you know, Coach Randall, uh, you know, love KU, and I've I've played in high school for a year, and you know, what what's your walk on policy? And thankfully, he was kind enough to say things like, "Well, you know, Ben, we're we're a pretty strong team. You know, we just won the conference last year, and we have a lot of scholarship players. And I'm just not really sure about." if there's going to be room for a walk-on this year, but, you know, practice your game and, you know, enjoy KU and, you know, I wish you the best. So that's how that went. He was super kind, super nice, but basically said, yeah, you're not really what we're looking for. Well, fast forward 20 years later, 
I'm at my home course in Boynton Beach, and I start talking to a friend and mention my Kansas connection, you know, family, friends. And he says, that's incredible. You know, we have a bartender from Kansas, and, you know, there's a guy here that's a member that helps me with my golf game, and he used to be the coach at the University of Kansas. So I said, you mean Ross Randall? His eyes light up. He's like, how do you know that name? So, of course, I share the story of how I kind of embarrassed myself as a dumb 18-year-old kid trying to walk onto the KU golf team, and he loves it. He texts Coach Randall and takes a little while, but we finally get to meet, and he was a great friend. Unfortunately, he did pass away. He would watch me hit balls at Quail Ridge, and one of the coolest things that happened is we were playing one afternoon, and I hit a really great shot on a par five, got there in two, had it about you know three feet left for Eagle, and as I was walking back to my car, he says, you know, Ben, if you were actually able to do that 20 years ago, maybe I would have put you on the KU golf team. So that was a great memory. Got to know him very well. Got to know his his wife, Linda, very well. She actually listens to the podcast all the time. So I got a call from Linda a while back, and she says, hey, I got tickets to the KU basketball game down in Miami, and do you want to go? I said, absolutely. She's like, great, you're driving. I got the tickets. Done. Perfect. So we go down there and, and join the game, and sure enough, who do we see a few rows in front? Gary Woodland and his wife. So she yells out, and of course he comes up and get get to meet Gary, super guy. And what does Linda do? She throws me under the bus and says, Ben, why don't you tell Gary the story of how you tried to walk on to the Kansas golf team? Really? So I got to tell a PGA Tour player, winner, and a former player on Coach Randall's team how I tried to walk onto the team. So that was pretty embarrassing, but Gary laughed quite a bit and was kind enough to kind of let me off the hook there. But thought I'd share a personal story of Kansas, meeting Gary Woodland, and sometimes when you're 18, you, you think you could do more than you really can. So congrats again to Gary Woodland, our U.S. Open champion. On to this week's episode. Our guest this week is no stranger to USGA events. In fact, he qualified for four consecutive U.S. Senior Opens. Think about that. One day a year, you have to put up the best number you can, beat everyone else in the field, and you know that it could put you into arguably the best senior tournament in the world. And you do it four years in a row. Our guest this week, Mike Finster, did just that. He played his college golf at Northwestern after toiling around as a pro for a few years. He got his amateur status back and has been competing on the amateur circuit for many years. We talked about his strength with the driver, which I saw firsthand at the Florida Cup last year. And, you know, it's always nice when a senior can outdrive you by 20 yards. Really does boost the morale. He is a super guide. The stories he shared are amazing. He's also the 2019 Gasparilla Invitational Champion. He's joining us this week. Mike, thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? Ben, I am fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate you joining me. And, you know, before we get started, I know there's a lot we're going to get to, a lot about your your amateur career that has just actually blossomed, so to speak, now that you've entered the senior ranks. But I always like talking to players about or people on the, the podcast about how they get into the game and, you know, where they grow up. And a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I grew up in the Northeast and then I moved to Florida. Um, you're just the opposite. What are you doing to me, man? You're a native of, you're a native of Florida, aren't you? Um, actually I was born in the Northeast, but I moved down here when I was 12 years old. Tell me about how you got in, uh, how you got into golf, where you got started. So my dad introduced me to the game and I was, um, 
you know, I grew up in uh, my formative years until I was about 12 in New Jersey, and they had this strange rule that you could you had to be at least 12 years old to go on the course with um you know with as a, as a junior so i had this pilot light lit because my older brother was able to join my dad on weekends and i you know desperately wanted to join him but i couldn't we then moved down to tampa and there was a course literally around the corner from iraqi point where i wanted to play but my dad was insistent on i'm going to teach you the rules and the etiquette of the game before I take you out to the course. So that another 30 days goes by. So now I've got <laughs> this pilot light that's raging going, I really want to try this game. And, um, you know, played all the other sports growing up, but I got bitten pretty bad by the golf bug. So you didn't really play many other sports. I mean, this was pretty much your thing when you first got started. What was the kind of the junior golf culture or high school golf culture in St. Pete, Tampa area at that time? Well, it's really interesting you say that because I was hitting balls right um, at this Skyway Park right around the corner from my house. And this guy, uh, Rob Gamester, who started the Greater Tampa Junior Golf Association, stopped me and said, hey, I'm going to start this golf association. And again, you know, we've had quite a few really top players, John Houston, Woody Austin, um, you know, a number of female players. you know, who go on a successful career. So that's, that's kind of how we got started. And just to, um, you know, just to get into some competition. And I, I remember looking back, my first ever tournament was at Satterbrook and I shot 127. And then, uh, a year later shot 73 on the same course. So I, oh, wow. you know, I made some, yeah, I made some pretty good. Improvements that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big, about 50 shots better. That's not bad. What did, I mean, that's incredible. Oh, I was hooked. Trust me. I was, uh, I remember, and I think what helped me is I learned the game from the whole backwards. So glad you got it. I am so glad you got into that. I am so glad because that is how I learned the game. And that's how most people do not learn the game because they know you're exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. They want to bang the driver. right? Right. And so my, what happened to me was there was the men's association would have this little putting contest. And so I join them, I'd ride my bike up at three fifteen, and we'd play 50 cent closest dollar drops. And, um, I would, I would clean up. And then as I, I remember, you know, kind of my mom finding a, a wad of cash at the bottom of my sock drawer <laughs> and, um, you know, unbeknownst to me, she's here with my dad and he comes down and says, Michael, I want to have a word with you. You know, your mother found this. And of course, they're maybe thinking the worst. And I told my dad, I've been gambling the men's association. And his response was, son, I, I, I can't condone this, but keep up the good work. That's awesome. So. <laughs> That's so great. So I was just going to say, like, he had to be like so proud. He was like, yeah, my, my kid yeah. just just that's awesome. So so you're 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 picking up coin at, at on the putting green on the chipping green. Did you ever really think about how much that was going to help your game or was that just fun and and i guess you know we all think about what our drills are and our um, technique and we need to watch a video and go on youtube and and you know how do i get better were you even thinking about what that was doing for your golf game or was that just being social and learning how to be an adult on a golf course with other men at the club Right. It, it was something that wasn't really consciously thought of. And again, it was just sort of, you know, happenstance that, you know, again, you learn to to get the ball in the hole, which is ultimately, obviously, the goal in golf. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, 
this this awesome game that we all play and all your listeners you know were uh, enjoy i mean it, it's it's a counterintuitive game right i mean if you want if you're slicing the ball to the right you know the you have to actually swing to the right not left right, right. if you want the ball to go up in the air you've got to hit down on the ball to make it go up and so I think what's happened to me, you know, particularly in the last few years is I've actually tried less. I've lowered my expectations. I've tried to play like I did as a kid, you know, just, you know, again, when you work for 20 some odd years, trust me, any day on the golf course is, is better, you know, better than a day, you know, at the office. Um, but, you know, you try, you try to eliminate, you know, left brain, you know, conscious thought, just be athletic. And so, that's that's really what's and and you know couple that with I think God just has a fantastic sense of humor that that I would be playing the the best golf of my life which isn't again you know compared to some of your other guests is not not that high level but I've really well been very very blessed to have some uh, some awesome you know opportunities well let's just clear that up really quickly here because I I get this sense that you you think you're on need to be on eggshells or maybe you don't think you 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 got the resume let's just clear that up really quickly um you qualified for four consecutive u.s senior open championships through sectional qualifying so four years in a row you had to be at your best and beat a field of pros and amateurs at your spot probably about 80 to 90 people in each qualifier so we'll just knock that one out of the water right there so since we're talking about it let's talk about something like that the u.s senior open um obviously to be eligible for that you got to be 50 years old can you kind of talk about what you were doing around the age of 45 to 50, knowing what's coming up? Were there things you did to prepare for that, knowing that you had that opportunity, you know, uh, on the horizon? You know, Ben, it's a, it's a great question. And, and I really had, and I've been playing, you know, a lot of the hidden giggles, member guests, just, just having fun. I still thoroughly, and you know, love the game. And then the local cable company put up the sponsorship money for a, a spot at the Outback Pro-Am, which was a local, you know, Champions Tour event. And sure. um, it was just a, and so as luck would have it, I was able to to qualify and um, it probably as much due to the fact that everybody else got to play to half of their handicap, you know, in the finals. And I, you know, I was very candid with the, uh, the tournament organizers. I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a scratch or a plus. I mean, you know, how are you guys? No, no, no. You just go off as a zero. Oh, okay. So really they, these, if these poor guys got their handicaps chopped in half. And instead of me having to give a couple or three shots back to the you, field, I got you, to play it scratch. Yeah, you played straight up. You played as if it were, <laughs> you played like you just had a pro as your four ball partner. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so I was fortunate enough to make it was paired with, um, Tom Pernice and Bob Tway, the first couple of rounds and just, just had a fantastic time. And these guys were very, very um, encouraging. And, and to the point that they said, you know, why, why don't you try to play some stuff? Yeah. And I mean, but at this point, you know, I've got, I've got a basketball team full of kids, full-time job. I mean, it's not quite going to be, you know, in the cards to, to play a lot of amateur golf. Um, but uh, kind of an interesting, you know, anecdote to this story is, is I was, I was, my, my only goal that week was to hit a Coke worthy shot. That is, you know, Gary Coke was going to make mention of me on TV. And yes, I have a, you know, ego and I'm one of the, you know, got to, got to work on pride. It's one of the, um, the deadly sins here, but uh, sure. nevertheless, 
I, uh, I, I had a, I had a nice approach into the 18th hole. And for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, this is like a big cocktail party. There, there must be 12, 15,000 people in the tents, just, you know, sipping on, um, sipping on some drinks. And, sure. and so, uh, you know, would you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to wiggle in a birdie pot, got, you know, one of the nicest, you know, roars that I've ever heard. And, um, it was, and it actually made national TV. And so, uh, the tournament wraps up and then I get a call from the USGA that Monday asking about the circumstances for the, the qualifier. And I went through everything I knew. I mean, the PGA Tour had a representative at all the stages. And they said, okay, well, you know, if you were called in saying that if you want a spot that's valued at $12,000 that, you know, I'm like, oh, I, and I never even considered that. And so sure enough, um, I was I was uh, suspended from amateur play for a year. And I wouldn't have changed it for the world because, no. uh, you know, we had just a fantastic family memory. You know, my mom was, was able to... Uh, to walk around and, and got to play with Hal Sutton and, and Emmett Smith. Um, and unfortunately the last day got rained out and, um, we were on the third green and I am about a foot inside Hal Sutton. And he says, calls over an official says, look, these greens are unpottable. And, um, so he, he calls, uh, calls our maintenance. They squeegee him. He's like, I still can't pot. And then so Tom Pernice had asked me, he goes, Mike, do you want to come up? And I said, sure, I'll come up. And again, you can't make this stuff. I, I knock it in from 30 feet. I go over to my friends and family and I said, I don't know what Hal Sutton's bitching about. The greens are perfect. <laughs> and and they they erupt in laughter. And, and I, I think he knew that I was kind of yeah, taking a little dig at him. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he heard that one. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, wow. So you, you basically lose your amateur status on a technicality, I guess. Uh, it was, certainly wasn't your intent to to have that happen, but it worked out well. And it kind of sounds like it gave you the, the impetus to say like, okay, I, I think I know where I'm, what I'm going to be doing when I turn 50, or I think I know what I'm going to be shooting for. You know, it's always the question. I'm sure it's the question you've gotten several times, many times, but what are the reasons that you wanted to stay an amateur and not pursue a, a life on the champions tour? Well, you know, I've, I've been fortunate that some people have, have offered, but um, I've, I've, grown up with a lot of those guys and and they were um certainly champions um on the regular tour and i you know what's to think that you know you're gonna have success i mean you know obviously he's a guy like ken tanagawa and it's fantastic but i'm i'm really not not in that in that caliber um and again, I, you know, I, I know I have maybe a little bit of a self-deprecating streak, but again, th this game will certainly humble you. And uh, so I, I feel as though, um, you know, like for example, the qualifiers for the for the Open, I I didn't realize it was just 18 holes. And and you're right, it, it does take a little little different mindset, um, you know, because obviously you know you need to to play well because it's a bit of a sprint, right? 18 holes, sure. And yet you still need to sort of play, you know, uh, aggressive and and avoid a big number. So, um, <clears throat> you know, as I say, I just um, Caught lightning in a bottle. I think it's, um, you know, obviously you, you you have some strong, you know, some very strong players, and you just, I wish I wish I knew what the magic was. I can tell you this this last one, which I missed just a week ago for Notre Dame, which 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 would have been extra special and very sentimental because my my dad is a, is a grad. I have an older brother that's a grad. 
I've got two daughters that are attending. So may, maybe, you know, my whole philosophy try last, it didn't quite apply. And, sure. And, um, but nevertheless, I mean, I, I, I fully believe this was part of God's plan and, and obviously, you know, there is disappointment, but sometimes these unanswered prayers end up, um, end up working out for the best. Yeah. You mentioned you have ties to, um, to Notre Dame. I didn't want to gloss over the fact of where you went to college or where you played collegially and you, uh, you played Northwestern. I'm, I'm always fascinated. I love getting into, you know, how do people get to the college that they play at? You know, how do these decisions get made and what were their experiences like? So from a kid that lived in, in Florida for most of his childhood and then goes up to the, to, you know, the Midwest, you know, how did Northwestern get on your radar? Well, it was, it was again, just a very, um, I, I call it a godsidence, not a coincidence, but a, nice. but a good friend. I mean, I was, I would, I had no intentions of traveling, you know, north of the Mason Dixon line. I mean, yes, I was, I was, you know, a young aspiring, you know, wannabe pro and, you know, what's, what's the best, you know, um, venue school that they could, you know, maybe help you achieve those goals. But, um, I, I ended up going on a recruiting visit and, and it was uh, as a result of Chuck Winship, who was the coach at university of Tampa at the time. And, and he knew me as a, as a kid growing up and he says, listen, I know the coach up there. I think it'd be a good fit for you. And so sure enough, went up, fell in love with the school, the players, um, the coach Wally Goodwin, who, um, went on to coach some guy Eldrick out in Stanford yeah, and, and, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I went out to his hall of fame induction, you know, in the fall, which was just fantastic. You know, here he is still, still doing great at 90 years old. And, and so, um, it was, it was one of those things, Ben, where it was just, it was just the right fit. And, um, the, the courses that we played on, were just fantastic for the six that hosted the U S open at one point. So uh, it was just, um, it was just a perfect match. And, and, um, you know, I, I coming off, obviously living in Florida, I, I, I literally golfed every day for like five years. I mean, I'd say, Hey, I'm going to play in the wind and the rain because at some point, you know, you're going to have to play in the wind and the rain. So, yeah. you know, may, may, maybe a little bit of burnout. And so having a couple months off in the, in the winter, wasn't such a bad idea. And um, we we had a we had a great team, you know. One of my teammates, uh, Frank Quinn, is still playing on the Champions Tour. Another Jim Benape, um won his first ever PGA start in the Western Open. And uh, I'm still close. Matter of fact, I talked to another teammate of mine just this morning, Mike Stone. Yeah, you know, we so it was just a great group of guys, and we went from 26 consecutive years last place in the big tens. And when I say last, we were last by like 30, almost, almost by as many shots as Oklahoma state just won this one, but we were, we were the cellar dwellers. And then we ended up finishing third and second and, you know, kind of, you know, really turned, turned the program, you know, in the right direction. And, and of course um, the current, uh, Pat Goss and David Inglis at Northwestern now have, have really taken it to another level where, where they've been actually contending for the NCAs. Now, do you head back to Northwestern at all for any, and do you have any involvement with the team or the program at all now? I know a lot of alums at different, you know, universities go back or they, they're still involved. Are you still involved with Northwestern at all? Um, I am. Um, and I'm, again, I'm so grateful to Pat and Dave for, uh, for including the alums, because again, you know, you want to share whatever, you know, whatever you can with the, with the current team. And so they would host an alumni match versus, you know, the current team. And again, these guys are living large. I mean, you know, they're flying down on weekends, you know, to practice in down in Jupiter and um, 
Luke, Luke Donald's been nice enough to host, um, you know, some of these challenge matches. And, and, you know, I might, I might just have to make mention that we're 12 for 12 and it's not like Luke Donald's playing every year, but I mean, the nice. old men are, are, are beating the, uh, the young whippersnappers. And, and I, and I hope that pokes some of them to, um, to, to keep, uh, keep working at it. But, um, and, and I, I really had an awesome, um, awesome opportunity that we had our, you know, Nash or, um, you know, major fundraiser this past fall. And, and coach Goss had asked me to, to come up and, you know, when I help out with a clinic and, and Jim Benepe was going to be there and Kirk triplet because Kirk's son, um, Sam was, was a, uh, was a player on the team. And then ironically, another son of his Connor went to Notre Dame. So he and I've, you know, had, you know, a nice four year run of practice rounds at, uh, at the senior open, but, but I'm, I'm getting off tangent here. So you're good as we're, as we're all, as we're all together Sunday night, Kirk triplets says, Hey, you know, Pat said, Luke is going to be, uh, at the fundraiser tomorrow. I'm like, huh? Goes, no, 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 this is, this is not going to work. I will, I will gladly step away. You know, I will watch, you know, Luke Donald hit some balls instead of, uh, sure. it was just, it was just, uh, guy Fenster. But, um, we ended up having just a, just a great day. And um, Luke invited us back to his house to watch the, the Bears game and get a tour of uh, you know the trophy room. It was just it was just a fantastic uh, opportunity and, and a great memory. Yeah, well, that's uh, he's pretty much at the top of the list when you think of Northwestern golf. So um, you mentioned you know Kirk Triplett's son and your and I know you have kids. You have you have four girls and you have a have a boy. Is that correct? I have uh, three um, three girls. Um, a 15 year old boy and then a nine year old boy. So I have, um, and what I like to say is I have four great kids and one, and this way it keeps them all on their toes. Cause oh. I'm like, I don't know, would I be talking about you? I mean, you're terrible. I know. I know. No dad of the year for me. That's for sure. Wow. That's uh that's rough. That's rough going. So, um, <laughs> how have you, uh, have you introduced the game to your kids? Like, is that part of their life or, is that just dad's weird thing he does and he just disappears on some weekends? Yeah. Funny, funny story. So I, I was trying a little reverse psychology with, with my, with my girl saying, Hey, you know, this is golf's too hard a sport thinking that might, you know, prod them to, um, I'll show you, but wow. no, it, it didn't, didn't work. They, they all became uh, very, very good swimmers. And then, um, you know, my, uh, my son, you know, played a little bit, but, but not so much. And then as irony would have it, uh, our youngest is one who's definitely shown some interest and, um, he loves going out on weekends and, and hitting chips and pots. And so, yeah, that's been, um, cause that's been a dream of mine is to have, you know, one of your kids come up to you, you know, and again, I, cause that was my experience, you know, it was never one of these, you know, dad or mom forcing you to go practice. It was, it was something that they just encouraged us. And, and I didn't, I didn't want to push, you know, I look back maybe with a little bit of regret saying, I wish I would, maybe would have just forced them to, to, you know, to take some lessons to get the foundation. And then if they want to, you know, park it for a decade or so, that that's fine. Yeah. But, um, but now, so, uh, that's, that's kind of how, um, that's how it happened. But, you know, I, I, speaking about my youngest, we, we actually were at dinner, um, a couple months ago, celebrating some of, you know, my, my kids, uh, 
very, very strong academic accomplishments. And again, I just want to highlight that it's definitely from my wife. Um, she's, she's definitely the, uh, no one's going to find right. that hard to believe Finster. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But who knows me? So, so here we are with a fancy restaurant in Tampa and I'm, I'm waiting to pay the check. And I hear this guy talking to my, to my youngest complimenting him in on his attire and what a firm handshake. And I'm thinking, who is this character talking to my kid? And so I look back and, and lo and behold, it's a it's a Hall of Fame hockey player who's going to be on TV tonight calling Game Five of the of the you know the Stanley Cup. Sure, I'm thinking, wow, what are, what are the odds of this? So we we just started small talk, and I said, wow, that was really nice. You, you know, the family had already gone to sit down at the table, and so he he has no idea um, that I golf at all. But he he pulls out his phone and he says, hey, I'm playing this course. Uh, Palmachia. You ever heard of it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's Palmachia. You'll love it. It's a great, great track. You know, Donna Ross. And he goes, yeah. And then the other one is Tampa Palms. I go, man, you got a great lineup. So I sit down to dinner and I shoot the head pro, Kevin Kenny, who's a buddy, um, a note saying, hey, I met one of your guests who's coming out on Sunday. And he says, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's going to be great, but I, I wrench my back and I can't play. Would you, would you mind standing in for me? I said, are you kidding me? I'd be, I'd be honored. And so, so I do a quick Wikipedia search and, you know, this guy's talking about how, when he was a kid, Gordy Howe threw some ice over the, over the glass and winked at him and the amount of impact, you know, it had on an impressionable young man. And so he makes a point at restaurants to do the same things to these young kids. And I'm like, man, that's exactly what happened to us. Yeah. So we get reacquainted, um, on the first tee and, and, you know, just thinking, wow, this is just gonna be fantastic. And then he looks at me, and again, he still doesn't know that I golf at all. He just knows that I have a set of clubs, and I showed up at this, you know, very, very nice country club. Um, and he said, uh, I like playing for an amount that makes a guy uncomfortable. Oh, boy. What, what, what amount is that for you? So I respond, well, listen, you're a scratch golfer, I understand, and, and I don't want to take any shots. So um, I was thinking, how about a $100 Nassau? And I'll bet you 500, I beat you. And he, he starts, he buckles over laughing. He goes, that's the funniest line I've ever heard. And I said, no, I, let's, let's do this. And so, so, um, first hole, I, I rattled the flag, damaged the cup. I birdie three of the first five. He's like, okay, I'm buying out of that bet. I need double Tito's stat. So we run, get him some, get him some vodka. And then, um, we, we have another bet. I ended up winning that. And then um, on about the 11th hole, he hits into this group of uh, these two couples that are playing on a Sunday morning. And they come back, nice as can be, guys, you know, we can't go anywhere. And this guy goes Dr. Jekyll on him. I mean, he's ready to drop the gloves, and I can see why he spent some time in the penalty box. And he starts having words with them. And, I'm, you know, I'm trying to diffuse the situation going, "This this is really not happening, right? And so, anyway, we ended up um, playing a couple more holes. And at this point, after he was ch- still chirping at these uh, the members, I said, "Let's let's just call this a day." And so, anyway, that was uh, that was a kind of crazy, crazy uh, experience yeah. here a couple months ago. Yeah, and that's and, and it's funny how it's funny how that started from just a purely innocent uh, interaction at a restaurant where he's complimenting your kid. So. 
Yeah, and and in talking to some guys who who knew this player, they said that you know it is kind of uh, it is common, and even once you say his name, it's like let me guess, let me guess. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was gambling, so. drinking, and fighting involved. I said, yeah, in that order. How did Perfect. you know? So yeah. Nice. Um, we, we glossed over the senior open, which I really did not want to do. Um, but before we do get to that, I did want to kind of talk to you about the fact that you did play professionally out of college and of all places, (laughs) um, how, how does Woody Austin and the Japan golf tour ever find themselves in the same sentence? Well, again, um, I, I am a firm believer that, uh, you know, God is writing a story and, and he has a plan for us. And, and I'm, I'm with my now wife. This, Even this for Woody Austin, ago. he has a plan. I mean, really? I know I'm telling you, Woody uh-huh. is one of a kind. He is without a doubt. The mold was broken after, after Woody, but here I was, um, he was tending bar in, uh, in Tampa and I'm, I'm with Mary Beth, my wife. Again, we were just, you know, friends back then. And, you know, I had just come back from playing a three month circuit in South Africa. That was kind of the extent of, you know, after I graduated college, my folks were like, look, if you want to give this a whirl, you know, we'll be happy to fund this. And so, you know, modest, modest success, you know, making a, you know, a couple or three cuts. I'm thinking, look, I'm just, I'm just not good enough. There's no, no shame in this. So, yeah. so, so there's Woody. He's like, well, what are you going to do next? And I said, I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. And um, as I'm sitting here now talking to Ben, I'm 54 and I'm still not exactly sure what I'm going to do with my life. But, but nevertheless, um, I said, you know, maybe law school, grad school. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, hundred percent sure. And he mentions that he had met a money guy out of Japan who sent him over to qualify through the um, Japanese tour school. And he's looking for another American. And, and did I have any interest? And this particular guy had a golf academy in Tampa and, um, you know, that the high schoolers, uh, high school players and kind of aspiring pros could, could attend and, you know, they'd have instruction. So sure enough, I played nine holes of golf, had a sushi dinner and inked a five-year deal. And he picked up all the expenses um, back of, I mean, my, my first experience in Japan, I flew there, played 18 holes and came back. Oh, and I was like, God. man, that's got to be some kind of crazy record. But it was for a young, you know, young guy, just a fantastic opportunity. And, and it, back in the day, I mean, the economy, the golf tour um, was really booming in Japan. So it was, um, it was just, a, as I say, just a really great opportunity for, um, you know, to try to you know, improve my skills. But, uh, you know, I, I then wrapped that up, came back, tried the USPGA school made it you know to the second stage missed and at that point i said you know let's you know it's time to maybe start uh start you know earning a living getting a job earning a living yeah exactly because i had truly been living you know a very um the gypsy life yeah exactly yeah 100 percent. yeah i was still living at the my parents crib you know which isn't really uh very good for a 30 year old guy you know after (laughs) uh but so yeah now that was as i say it was it was just um and it, it was it was a great, very very competitive tour, and again, a lot of U.S. players, um, PGA players, would go over and in, in, uh, towards the end of the year just because the prize money was uh, was so strong. Yeah. So so back then it would just it wasn't actually. Well, I guess now it's it feels that you know the web dot com is the way that these guys get onto the PGA tour. They may bounce around for Latin America or for McKenzie or different things like that. 
but they all seem to want to try and come back to the web to kind of get through Q school. So were, did you see guys that were just making that their living with no desire to really get elsewhere? Or was that more of a jumping off spot? What was it like back then? Yeah. So, so it was, um, you had to go through the, the same type of setup here in the U S two, four round qualifiers. And then the finals was six and, and, um, you would see guys that were playing on the Asian circuit. There was, a, there was a little bit in South America, but um, as far as like a tr- truly a viable, I mean, you know, it was really the, the European tour, the Japanese tour. And I, I missed the first uh, go round at the finals. I mean, it was kind of the strange thing where you had to shoot 10 over par or better or finish in the top 25. And in this particular finals, it actually snowed. And um, so only one guy, Ricky Kawaguchi, you know, he was the only guy that made it. So that was kind of just bad luck. But, you know, talking about Woody and again, he's he he's a super talented player. And, and, and I, you know, I just give him full credit for just sticking to it. Um, you know, I mean, the guy really was was a bank teller at, you know, the credit union that I was a member of. And he just kept fighting and sticking, sticking with it. And uh, he shot 88, 92, 93 in the finals of the qualifying school and then just flew home, skipped the last day. But I'm thinking stick a fork in him. I mean, he's done. There's, I mean, you know, how do you ever come back from <laughs> something come back like from that? that? Yeah. Yeah. And he did, you know, he just, just kept working at it. And so, um, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, it was something that, uh, again, you know, you got to, you got to see and, and play with, you know, a lot of the, the top players and, you know, you'd see, you know, Faldo and Norman come over for some of the, uh, you know, the bigger events, but yeah, my, my, my pro career was, uh, I mean, if, if you were looking at lifetime money, I mean, I'm, you know, it's, I'm, I'm definitely in the, you know, the bottom five. I mean, I just, I just had a golden goose who was paying the bills. Well, if you're playing on that tour and you have all that travel, I am sure you have some sort of a travel story that you can share from back in the day. I did have kind of one, you know, incident where, um, you know, once out of every five times going through customs and immigration, they would open up your, your, your golf bag and your your suitcase just to make sure you're not bringing in any contraband or whatever. And so um, I had received a call from, from a guy who was already over in Japan. You know, would I mind bringing over some magazines, you know, that are, are really known for their articles, let's just say, and, um, you know, the reading materials. Very artistic is what you're saying. Artistic, exactly. Got well it. put, well Got put. It. So, so at this point, I'm like, sure, no problem. So, you know, so I stuff them in my bag. And, and you know, when you know, this is my time to get uh, my bags rifled through. And so here they are holding up these, uh, you know, <clears throat> October magazine. And I'm getting the no, no, no. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I turned a shade of red like you have never seen in your life. Uh-huh. So, <clears throat> so when I finally see this player, I tell them, look, I got caught bringing in your contraband and then he proceeds to tell me like oh yeah i meant to meant to call you back my you know my mom actually fed excellent to me so i i didn't need him after all and, and i thought to myself man that that is just a conversation i'm not having with my mom you know what i mean <laughs> you're you're a devout christian that just got busted and trying to smuggle smut into a foreign country yeah yeah that's me that's, that's me that's perfect oh boy couldn't happen to uh, a nicer guy unreal that's great all right, so I want to ask you, so we've played golf recently together. We played in the Florida Cup back uh, last October. Yeah, St. Augustine. Yeah, somewhere in there. So we played Hammock Creek, and we're paired. Uh, we got, we're, play, we're playing the four-ball um, uh, p- portion of the tournament, and 
So I'm about 42 and you're 53. So you're about 10 years older than me. And you were consistently knocking it about 10 to 20 yards past me. And I wouldn't consider that I'm a short hitter, but sure did feel like one on that day. So I'm curious, distance is a big part of your game. I know that in several of the U.S. Senior Opens that you played in, you were right at the top of the driving distance category. I think I think you led one of them uh, with Grant Waite. So you are consistently, you know, hitting it, uh, you know, you're averaging about 300 yards. So for the, for the person that's trying to improve that part of their golf game, what is your advice? What are your tips? How do you hit the ball? And can it be taught? Can it be learned? Well, you know, I've always had a, a short backswing, and I know it seems like that's kind of coming in vogue. And, you know, you, you know, it's interesting. You hear some of these analysts on TV saying, oh, he has such a long, fluid swing. He's going to be able to play forever. Right. But, you know, my thought is I've always been short. I'm still short, you know, on the on the backswing. And and uh, I haven't found, you know, really any loss. And obviously, you know, with, with equipment and, and, and ball, um, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm still able to, to kind of move it out there. I think what, you know, when people ask me, hey, do you have any, you know, any advice? And I, I say, look, I, I feel you have to use, um, you know, keep obviously everything loose. It's kind of like a fastball pitcher, right? I mean, if you have, you know, rigid wrists or anything, and you know, you, you have to be able to snap the ball, you know, right at, right at the proper moment. And sure. so I think that's really what's um what's helped me i mean the timing's sort of been there you know i really i i I didn't didn't really take lessons growing up um and you know i find that you know um i sometimes kind of you know get a little little too you know methodical i i I, you know when i'm playing my best i'm singing a u2 song in my head and (laughs) you know let's let's just let's just go have you know let's just be athletic it's a ball it's a hole it's a game you know what I mean? And okay. so, um, you know, I think that we've, we've certainly, you know, made it, made it a lot, uh, a lot more difficult. So, yeah, I mean, that would be kind of my, you know, my thing is just, you know, let, let the, you know, the wrist snap, you know what I mean? Right at, right at impact. Are you an equipment guy? Are you constantly tinkering, getting, you know, getting on track mans, testing out shafts, heads? Are you, is that something that, that is part of your ability to stay consistently, uh, longer than maybe your competition or is again is that just over complicating things you just find a driver you like it and you're you're, you're good yep no that's exactly it ben i mean i i probably know the least about equipment is um is anybody out there although i did take the rory challenge and uh and bought a you know an m m driver thinking okay you know if this irishman wins the pga i get a free free club but sure. um so um I, uh, I did recently, a dear friend of mine, uh, ended up putting me in some PXG saying, Hey, listen, I want to put you in, you know, in some of the best equipment and let's see what you can do. And, um, that's been, that's been fantastic. Cause I can tell you, you know, when you, when you do go through kind of a fitting and, and, you know, you try some different shafts and, and, um, lofts it, you know, it really is, but I'm, I am really not that type of you know, what, uh, you know, what degrees and what's my launch angle, you know, the, the track man guy. No, that's, that's just not me. That's just not you. Okay. So Mike, I want to ask you this question. You know, we've all played our casual practice rounds or casual games on Saturdays with, you know, two off the first, everyone likes the breakfast ball or 
whenever we're, you know, you'd, you'd pump one OB or you pump one in the water, you drop that second ball or you tee up that second ball. And, you know, of course we all know what happens. You stripe it down the middle or when we're on the putting green and, you know, you, of course you, you miss that 12 footer cause you, you know, hit a terrible putt, then you rake it back, hit it again and you drain it without thinking. So can you speak to maybe some of your experiences with that of how maybe that second Mike Finster is always better than the first Mike Finster? Well, you know, you're right. I think it's a phenomenon that everybody's sort of experienced. And, you know, I try to take it a little bit, uh, a little bit further. Like, you know, why is it that that second guy, you know, second ball, Sam, I mean, drops it, pures it, flushes it. And, you know, I, I was a little bit of a psycho on the greens. I mean, I, I've tried left-handed putting. I was putting with the back of a right-handed ping putter, left-handed. I mean, trust me, I have that been. Hard. That sounds hard. I was desperate. I mean, you were really running out of options at that point. But, but you know, I had this sort of epiphany saying, you know, I was watching this young man, 12 years old on the putting green, just one ball, knocking it in grabbing it out of the cup, hitting the next one. I'm thinking, man, am I making this harder? So again, it kind of goes to that, what we were discussing about trying less. And, you know, what that second guy, right. The outcome at that point doesn't matter. So um, again, I didn't stay at a holiday express. So this is just kind of through 30 years of trial and error. And, and, you know, when you play golf once every 10 days or so, and you know, you've got a full-time job, you know, sure. that lowering those expectations, um, I think would really help everybody. And, um, that's, you know, to me, again, there is no secret as we all know, but I think if we would all kind of take that approach, like it really doesn't matter the outcome. And, and, you know, you know, when you really try too hard in this, you know, wonderfully challenging game, it usually doesn't turn out well for, uh, for anybody. So you, you mentioned like, uh, you know, people come up to you to ask, you know, get to get advice or to kind of pick up tips and tricks. Now for the last four years, I know you're not going to be there this year, but for the last four years, you've been basically spending a week at, at the, the top of, of senior golf at the U S senior open. So do you go into that? I, I know you want to compete. You've made the cut. Uh, I think, two or three times. I know you want to go in there and compete, but are you going in there to kind of maybe pick up a couple things, maybe in a practice round or just to kind of open your eyes to the best in the world, see if you can add something from their game to your game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, I've been, been really so blessed to have such, you know, just great family memories. And I've got some dear friends that, that uh, have been making the trips with us. And we, you know, it's, it's definitely not about me. You know what I mean? The, that, that these particular weeks are just, just so special. And, um, you know, if I can just kind of set the stage, I mean, again, the first one, I had no idea really what to expect. And, you know, you fly into California and there's somebody greeting you there, you know, volunteer and, and they're helping with your bags and they hand you these brand new Lexus keys and they got the <laughs> GPS, you know, already set to the course and, you arrive and you register and and then they turn this, you know, computer monitor to your, Hey, did you want to play a practice round oh, yeah. today? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And then up is all the players. And then, you know, the first one I'm thinking, Oh, Tom Lehman, David Frost. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. It's good. Throw me in with those guys. Yeah. So, so th- yeah. So that was, um, 
you know, that was my initial, um, you know, go round. And, you know, there it could not, everybody to a man has been just fantastic. And, uh, you know, these guys, you know, I think once they found out I was an amateur, they were kind of, you know, being maybe a little bit more forthcoming, like, Hey, they're probably a big pin here and, you know, watch for this. So that was, that was a really cool experience. And then, and as I mentioned, um, I used to live down at Boca and my caddy, my Copeland, great friend he was the kind of guy who said listen it's not if but when you make it i want to be on your bag i mean it was kind of you know it was one of those things it was just so awesome so he he's out there um and in talking to david frost he said that he's building a house in boca and mike works for another good friend of mine pete castle who owns a roofing company he said listen we'll do the job at cost so now we're exchanging cell phone numbers sure. you know in my first ever practice i'm like this is unbelievable so then I thought, you know, listen, how about a little quid pro quo? You know, David, I could, I could use a little help or, you know, potting in bunkers. And he goes, go ahead, get, get in the bunker. Let me see your action. So I'm hitting some shots and he goes, your technique's fine. He goes, but you have too much bounce on your wedge. Here, try try my club. So, and I'm thinking, wow, this is unbelievable. And so it's the same thing on the putting green. He goes, you know, you need to get your putter bent to 71 degrees and blah, blah, blah. And again, I, that's not my kind yeah, of game. You don't but know, it, yeah, you it, don't know what the hell he's talking about. Right, right. But if that's what he says, he goes, go down to the vans, they'll they'll take care of you. So the next day, I'm walking into the locker room, and sure enough, there's David Frost. And he's standing at the urinal, and he goes, hey, Mike, did you get your clubs fixed like I like I asked? And I said, yeah, I sure did. And as I walked by, pat him on the shoulder, say, thank you very much. And then it quickly occurred to me, you know, as I look back and I said, David, I promise you, that's the last time I ever touch you while you have your unit in your hand. <laughs> he, starts, he starts laughing. He goes, yeah, you know, Crenshaw did the same thing to Nicholas back when he was a, when he was a rookie, but yep, um, yep. it was just, it was just fantastic. Um, you know, and again, I've, I've been so, so fortunate. I mean, I've played, um, you know, with Monty, Woosnam, Maggart, um, as I mentioned, Kirk Triplett. Um, you know, Olin Brown, Fed Frunk. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, it's sure. just, you know, I kind of like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to single in on, on you know, playing with some of the, some of the top pros. And uh, this, this, this last year at the Broadmoor was, was extra special because again, I was trying to, you know, I got, got an opportunity to play with Bernard Langer and Larry Mize. Oh, and, and uh, I know, right. Come on. I mean, Dorothy, I'm a long way from, uh, from Kansas here. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is as good as it gets. And so um, the, the fourth player is Mike McCoy, who's just a fantastic golfer, you know, won the mid am just, just a super guy. And I've gotten to know him a little bit over the, <clears throat> over the years. And I, uh, you know, I strap on, you know, two, two pairs of uh, two unders. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm going to get nervous here today. And sure. which is great. Cause it's the Wednesday before, and so my caddy and I decided, you know, we're going to go through the, the round as if it's actually the tournament, you know, go through our routine and line up every putt. And, and so I noticed that Mike is doing the same thing. And so I just kind of mentioned, Hey, do you want to do like a little birdie game for this nine? He goes, sure. That'd be great. And so I'm, I'm having, you know, a career nine holes with these guys. And in about the fifth hole, I'm, uh, I'm about 20 yards ahead of the guys off the tee and, and the head pro comes up and he says, Hey Mike, would you, would you mind if, if I introduce you to the owners of the Broadmoor, you know, this Philip and Nancy Anschutz, I'm thinking, huh? 
yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. And then it quickly, quickly occurred to me, maybe it's the guys behind me that, that, uh, they, they want to meet, yeah, yeah. but you know, they, again, we exchanged pleasantries could not have been nicer and you know, we could, we carry on. And then on about the eighth hole, it's a par three, you know, I hit a, I hit a nice approach shot. It looked like it almost went in and, and, uh, this is in front of, you know, some friends and family and Bernard Langer says to me, you know, I'm kind of tired of saying nice shot, Mike, nice shot, Mike. <laughs> uh, they can, you know, pinch me. I mean, my, my week at that point is done. I don't even care what I do in the tournament. And then, um, almost, almost Eagle, the last hole, the ninth and, um, and Langer says to me, so, so you sell roofing material, huh? Cause <laughs> you, 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 you could probably make a pretty good living out here, you know? And, uh, it was just, it was just fantastic. And then, um, you know, in the locker room, he kind of pulled me aside and he, and he said, uh, I look forward to playing golf with you on Sunday afternoon, which again, oh, um, man. yeah, I mean, stop, right. I mean, I can't, I can't make this up. And again, I, uh, I will be sure to take advantage of the sacrament of reconciliation for all, uh, for my lack of humility. But I mean, it was just one of those kind of classic, you yeah. know, you, 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 you know, this is really happening to me and, um, so that was, uh, that was just a fantastic, um, fantastic memory. And, and, you know, I guess one of the, I have a bunch, but I'm not going to bore your listeners, but I, the, um, now my listeners the, like being bored with stories like this. So you're doing well. I was actually going to cut you off and ask you this question. If you had to pick one of the guys that you played with in any of these practice rounds, or even some of the regulation rounds, and you got a special exemption to go play at the top of the rock, the par three tournament up there at, at in branson who yep. who would you pick to be your partner and i know that's a really tough one because you can go skill level or you can go fun level or you can go both but right but, right but no, who, good, good good question i would i would say you know for me the uh the unicorn and i've really tried to to get paired up with has been Miguel and Hel Jimenez. And it's, and it's just for kind of the way, you know, I just, the, the guy, right. The most interesting man. And, you know, just, he seems to enjoy the game yeah. and, and obviously his skill level is phenomenal. And, um, you know, uh, but it has not happened and, um, you know, who knows if it ever will, but you know, I'm fine either way, but I, but the closest it came was we were, we were up in Scioto at dinner and and i understand this this is this is kind of what i what i mean about this guy he, he apparently calls the tournament directors at each one of the stops and says hey what are some of the finest restaurants in town and then he has his grape shipped to the restaurant so that he can drink his own wine and oh, i'm thinking now that now that a, this is this is fantastic right that guy's a baller so there he is sitting at a table and there's about, I don't know, 12 of us at our table, kind of guys on one side, girls on the other, just like back in kindergarten. And, um, he gets up to leave and, and a good friend of mine tugs him by his shirt and says, Miguel, Hey, I just want to let you know, this is your competition this week. And then he looks at me and I'm thinking, Oh no, uh, an amateur roofing salesman is not his competition. I'm like, Oh, and so then he looks at me and he says, "Uh, you know, you, you have a very nice table here looking at the ladies. Of course. And he says, but this side, not so much. And you know, we, you know, I mean, the guy was just, he's just, he's just got a ton of personality. So I'm the next day in the locker room and he's got 68 with no bogeys at Scioto. And I'm just telling you, if I had, 
two ball scramble and I bought a couple mulligans. There's no way I'm going around, you know, with no bogeys. And he goes, yeah, I only made two birdies. I left many for you on the course. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, this guy's <laughs> yeah. But, um, but he's, like I said, he's just, I, w- I would say, yeah, that would, um, that would be my guy. I'd like to, I'd like to play with. Nice. So I know that family, obviously anyone that's paying attention here in this episode, they, they know that family is very important. You know, your faith is very important. You've, um, you've had your family out to the U S senior open. So I know that, you know, you know, taking care of your kids and, and supporting them in their endeavors, you mentioned your daughters are swimmers, but you've had them in your gallery, so to speak at these, some of these events, haven't you? I sure have. It's, it's, you know, as I mentioned, it's, it's really been a, just a family instead of doing vacations, we've um, started and we've had some awesome, awesome places to go, you know, Boston and, and, uh, California, but, um, you know, we, we also look at it as a, as an opportunity. I mean, you know, as you know, golf is a little bit of a microcosm of life You're sure. faced with adversity and, and how do you respond to that? And, and I think back the first, the first round, first tournament, I was, I was doing well. I was like even par through 15. And then I don't even know what happened. Cause I don't even feel like I really hit a bad shot, but I ended up finishing double bogey, double bogey, double bogey. Oh. And, you know, one of my girls was nearly in tears. Another one was in the fetal position. And I'm thinking, okay, obviously I was disappointed, you know, like what just happened, you know, welcome to the U S open type of, um, you know, mentality. But I said, guys, come on, you know, uh, I tried my best. Let's go have a nice dinner. And, um, you know, I'm still the same guy I was if I, as if I would have part of him. Yeah. So that, that particular night, Ben, I'm telling you, my wife was just, she was unbelievable. I mean, just saying that the right things is like, look, you know, how you handle yourself is more important than your score. And, and so I am telling you, I, the next day I come out and I don't know what happened, but I was in Fuego. I'm four under through seven. And if I could have wiggled in a, a four footer, I'd have been five under through seven. And, um, we end up we're right on the cut line, finish early, and like 15 times, you know, in the cut line, outside the cut line. I mean, in each one of these is like a slow death. Yeah. Of and again, my fam, my wife, she doesn't know a bogey or birdie's better, but she's like, what do you mean? This means is if you're in on the weekend or you're out, I'm like, yeah, babe, this is important. Oh, you know, we, we, we really, and unfortunately a guy double bogey the last hole which allowed us to make the cut, you know, on the first, first year, which was, you know, which is pretty fantastic. And, um, so Sunday morning, yeah, I might've been a dew sweeper. Um, I, I am on the tee and I, and it happens to be my wife and I's anniversary and like any good salesman, you know, if you don't ask for the order, you're never going to get it. So I just said, look, is there any chance of maybe throwing a happy anniversary, Mary Beth, you know, sign up on one of the scoreboards. And he's like, you know what? Congratulations. But I don't, I don't think we can, we can do that, but let me make a call. So he does. And he comes back again, congratulations. But you know, we, we, uh, we're not going to be in a position. No problem. So off we go, we're making the turn at nine. And then the, the, uh, USG official starts walking towards me and I'm thinking, Oh, oh whoa, <laughs> what did I do wrong? And he says to me, Mike, your first T request is going to be honored. And I mean, at this point I'm kind of in the middle of the round. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, what? And then it, yeah. And then it quickly occurred to me. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I can't wait, wait to, to play the rest. Yeah. 
And so, so we get to, we get to, um, the 16th green, the official that's walking with us waves to my wife to come underneath the ropes right. and calls her out onto the green Oh wow! and then shows her happy anniversary, Mary Beth. The crowds gave us a standing ovation and I'm telling you, it's a memory that I'm going to cherish forever. That's and, awesome. uh, and it's a, it was a hard one to, to follow up the following anniversary year. I didn't, uh, flowers didn't quite cut it, but, uh, <laughs> should, have, should have had a card in there signed from the USGA. So that, that would have been perfect if you did. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, before we close out the episode, you are the reigning Gasparilla invitational champion. Uh, this is a very, very historic, um, it's a very historic tournament in uh, Tampa, Florida. I think it's probably, what, 55, 56 years now they've had this tournament. Um, it started as a professional tournament way back in the day. It, it transitioned to an amateur tournament. It is probably in that circle of, oh, probably that circle of six or circle of ten mid-amateur tournaments in the country that gets the most you know attention. you got the Coleman, you have the, you know, the Thomas, uh, you know, the Gasparilla is definitely at that level or of getting to that level, so to speak. So you won it this year. I know you've had many close calls. Uh, when did you start first start playing in the Gasparilla? Well, you know, interesting. I've, I've only probably played it a handful of times just because I wasn't living in the area. And, and you're right. It, it is a fantastic tournament. And you're right. The field has been has been improving, you know, year after year. I mean, it really had, you know, kind of very very preeminent status years ago and and um they've certainly brought that back but um so i've been as my i've been runner-up or as my youngest daughter would say first loser four times and you know yeah i mean listen if again it's one of those things if at the beginning of the week would you take second you know you'd say yes almost every time but some have been you know some some tough tough losses i mean one was to uh you know, to a Florida state, uh, stud who, you know, ends up going pro and they've since said, look, you know, we got to keep this in mid amp. So that was, that was kind of, that might've been my, my year. Right. And then, uh, the year before last, some guy, Mark Dull. Oh, that ends guy. Up, yeah. That guy ends up reeling off five birdies in the last eight holes. When I think I got that one in the bag and I'm thinking, all right. And so I, I really didn't see it coming this year because I was, I think I was trailing by seven, you know, going in the last day. And obviously these guys are playing well. I mean, it's not like I was playing poorly, but, you know, they were really, you know, I'm just, again, shocked at the caliber of play, you know, in, in pretty much every every channel of the game, whether it's, you know, junior, mid-am, college. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm really glad I'm not trying to make a living at it. But, but um, again, just got really, really fortunate. And I, and I, and I have to say, I think, you know, the, the membership at Palmasia is just fantastic. I think they've almost adopted me in, in some sense because, you know, I've had some, some, some tough losses. But I mean, you know, there's, there's several hundred people, um, you know, following and they've just been it's just been beyond fantastic to me. So it was it was such a special um you know, win because you know, truthfully, other than winning a couple member guests, I haven't I haven't won a tournament since junior college days. I mean, you know, this is you know, and, and it does take, you know, a little bit something to get you into the uh, you know, into the winner's circle. I mean, like I said, it was uh it was really very, very fortunate to um to have uh, you know, kind of a career last day and and um you know, uh along with that I've been 
really, really fortunate to have an opportunity to play down in, uh, in your neck of the woods at Seminole, which is what a, what a fantastic experience that was. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the firmest, fastest greens and we, you know, we played in 25 mile hour winds in different directions and just, you know, getting to know some of these, you know, some of the top, you know, mid ams in the country has just been, just been an unbelievable uh, blessing. What are your, before we wrap up the episode, what are your plans for the rest of the year? I know that you missed us senior open qualifier a couple weeks ago. Um, I wish I would have had you on, but uh, before you did that, cause maybe get a little mojo and a little good luck going your way, but we'll, we'll get that strained out for next year. What are your plans for the rest of the year? So I've got um, the Florida Open, which will be um, in July. Unfortunately, I have a I have a work conflict, and I couldn't couldn't play at the amateur, which would have been which would have been nice. And um, you know, my I've been playing a, a couple of FSG events, and you know, full kudos to them to keep uh, you know to keep everybody you know competitively sharp. And sure. you know, they have the Southeastern Challenge which is coming up um, later in the fall. So I'd like to kind of, you know, play a couple, couple events and try to keep earning some points and see if I can uh, earn a spot on that team. Cause I mean, as I'm sure, you know, you would attest, I mean, the Florida cup that we, we were in together. I mean, that was just, that was- just fantastic. And the camaraderie and, and uh, it's just, you know, as I say, just great guys. And, you know, the fact that they, you know, play golf well is just an added bonus, but just, just super people. Sounds like you have a great summer and a great uh, 2019 in store. I know there's a lot of things on the horizon. And then before you know it, you'll be prepping for next year and for another run at the U.S. Senior Open. Uh, we'll definitely keep our eye on you. I know a lot of our listeners are going to enjoy this episode. So we'll do it again soon, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me here at the back of the range. Thank you, Ben. All the best, my friend. And there you have it. Another great episode here at the back of the range. Special thanks to Mike Finster for joining us this week. He is actually going to go over across the pond and try and qualify for the senior open championship so we wish you luck mojo activated for you sir don't forget follow us on facebook twitter and instagram all that information is available at the back of the we'll see you next week for another episode here at the back of the range